actually is a podcast about reimagining the way we approach the entirety of the birthing year. Margot's goal is to combine her radical imagination with her knack for strategizing to bolster the birth revolution and a larger global revolution of feminine consciousness. Actually is a production of the Indie Birth Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Now here's your host, midwife and teacher, Margot Blackstone. Hey, if you're listening to this, you are listening to a new series of mine where we are doing a behind the scenes of midwifery visits. So talking to women who are looking for preconception, prenatal, and postpartum support. And this is a really fun experiment because I, for the first time, am recording these virtual sessions, which we have been doing for a long time here at Indie Birth, even pre-demic stuff. So we have had many years of virtual visits that we have done as midwives, and this has been an idea we've kicked around for a while. One, because we really like to do sessions with women all over the world. It's a really amazing way to utilize this whole internet thing so we can build a stronger birth community. So that's really exciting. I always love doing these kinds of visits. And this has the doubly cool aspect, which is that we are recording them so that you can listen in. So that might be cool for you because you are also a pregnant mama or a preconception mama or a postpartum mama. And you can glean some wisdom from these women and the conversations that they have with me. Or you might be a birth worker, a doula or a midwife, who knows, maybe an OB or a nurse who is looking to learn more about this wise woman model that we teach here at Indie Birth. And what better way to learn than to listen in and do this virtual apprenticeship with me. We are making this available to the public and we're also going to be incorporating it into our teachings here at Indie Birth for the doulas that we train and the midwifery students that we have as part of the Indie Birth Midwifery School. So those are some of the reasons why this little mini series was created, and I hope that you really enjoy them and pass them along to anyone who might benefit. So I will be 27 weeks pregnant on Thursday with my second child, and everything is going well as far as I know. I um probably the biggest symptom right now that I'm struggling with is just continued nausea here in the 27th week. So that took me by surprise. It's not what I experienced the first time around. And then aside from that, have had some fears about uh, nutrition and weight gain come up really as I'm processing my last birth experience uh, that had a lot of diagnoses and intervention attached to it. I'm currently working with two local licensed midwives and just have a lot of fear because I am just apprehensive of letting anyone into this experience. So I have them at arm's length and they probably don't really know that, but that's my way of both having the option of having a midwife 
attend my birth, but also not, I just have fear of giving them any information about what's going on with me because I experienced so much trauma last time. Okay, that seems like a good place to start as opposed to leaping into this pregnancy and then having to backtrack. Yes. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your first pregnancy? Okay, first pregnancy that was recommended to me, I was really excited to be pregnant, really had already been exposed to positive birth stories, but was still a newbie concerning some of the risks of working in, of having a pregnancy in the uh, medical system. And yes, so had an OB who was loved in my community and ended up just by default going with her and had, feel like I had every (laughs) kind of um, diagnosis under the sun. I'm trying to think of where it started. It started with gestational (laughs) diabetes. um, Okay. Strep B or whatever it's called positive, high blood pressure. So you were diagnosed with gestational diabetes. I was. Yeah. And I think that was the first time that I noticed a big shift in my care. Kind of just treated differently by the staff and by my doctor, really talked down to. And yeah, so that's kind of where things shifted, I think. Um, And then it kind of just went downhill from there until an induction at 37 weeks. Um, oh, wow. And yeah, it's been a really emotional, difficult, emotionally difficult labor and birth. Um, mm. And, you know, from the outside, it looks like, you know, things went pretty well. Um, I had a vaginal birth. Um, got an epidural at some point to try to lower my blood pressure. Um, mm-hmm. And it, that worked to lower my blood pressure. So, um, yeah, so it's a little bit too hard to explain to others why it was so hard. Yeah. What felt emotionally hard about it? Because that certainly makes sense to me that it could look one way on the outside, but not feel that way. Yeah. What was hard about it for you? I think feeling my two choices were risking harming my baby and going with my intuition, which was to delay the induction. And I made the decision after the doctor said, didn't ask, but said, you are going to be induced today. You need to go directly to the hospital from our office. You can't pack a bag. And I made the decision to go to my acupuncturist from there to try to help. I was like chugging red raspberry leaf tea on the way to the hospital (laughs) and, and went to the acupuncturist and just like sobbing, just said, please figure out, do something to help this induction. Cause I was like, not dilated, not ready for it. Yeah. And by the time I got to the hospital, my doctor was pissed um, that I hadn't gone mm. directly, directly there. And I just couldn't stop crying the entire time. Um, and I didn't want any of the interventions that were offered, but I, was terrified that if I didn't go along with it, then I would lose the opportunity to have a vaginal birth. 
So I just kind of cried through the whole thing. And, you know, the doctor and nurses were all saying, like, why are you crying? And I just wasn't even worth explaining because they didn't get it. And then by the end of the labor, I just tried to stay really quiet and pretend that I wasn't getting close to the end because I didn't want the doctor to come back in the room. So I essentially stayed really quiet until until the baby was crowning. And then, of course, I'm, I started making noises that you can't, can't hide <laughs> at some point that you're having a baby on the lights, you know, and uh, in bold letters in my written birth plan, I had, oh, please, please don't touch my perineum during pushing. And the first thing she did was start stretching my perineum with her hands. And she even said, I know that you said you didn't want this, but you need me to do this. And looking back, that's one of the, that's one of the hardest moments. Cause I just remembered kind of leaving my body and thinking it's over. Wow. That's so terrible. I'm really sorry that happened to you. And then everyone in the community loves her. So I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody about it. Yeah. Because everyone's response, friends and stuff were all, wow, I've never heard. I, I can't believe she's so well-liked. Like, I can't believe that she would be. But I think it was all pretty standard. It's just, I right. I'm ultimately feel, and I feel like all women probably are on some level. We teach ourselves not to be, or we train ourselves not to be. But I do think I'm particularly sensitive to life in general. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I think the question anytime that there's a provider that's well liked in a community, it's liked by who and what are those people's expectations? And when people don't understand physiological birth and they don't get a physiological birth, like they don't care that much. But when someone goes in wanting something, yeah. So it's hard to know. And so often people don't even know when I debrief birth stories with people they often don't remember that moment even. And I don't know if it's because they also like just dissociated in a different way or if they just, yeah, I don't know. It's hard sometimes to get those details out of people and it's either because they don't remember or they maybe don't want to remember. So that's really terrible. Yeah. I'm so sorry. So I, my midwives, they've been really wonderful and they're home birth midwives. One of two options of home birth midwives in my community okay. and I've attended a birth of a of my cousin that they were the providers for and it was really beautiful it was a pretty textbook birth though and so they felt like the best choice for me and I can honestly say they've been been wonderful um but I've kind of gone in scared of every appointment afraid of getting a high blood pressure reading in particular and just, yeah, just afraid mm-hmm. of being risked out. As I get a bit closer, I'm kind of gaining more confidence in my, um, you know, in my journey to like being the healthiest version of myself in pregnancy and feeling pretty confident that I am really healthy. I'm beginning to feel that way. It's been a, a lots of ups and downs along the way, but <clears throat> but now my fear is sort of transferring to um, 
you know, potential hospital transfer. They've mentioned and alluded to a lot of stories of hospital transfer. And in the first um, meeting, one of the two midwives, the one that I feel less close with, said kind of this blanket statement of we're not here to protect. We're not here to protect home birth. We're here to protect the lives of mom and babies. So we will transfer you. And so that put fear. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's a couple different things I think would be really cool to talk about. I think that is good to talk about no matter what, because it can happen. And there might be a situation where you find yourself wanting to go in for something. So I think that maybe would be a cool place to visit last um, but I wanted to know more about, so like the gestational diabetes diagnosis, what did that look like for you? Were your numbers good at home? Like when you were checking or yeah, how did that look? Yeah. So I, this particular physician skips the, the shorter one hour uh, oh. test. And so, oh, how lovely. Yeah. So she, I only did, ever did the, whatever, the three hour yeah. Diagnostic test. like awful. Yeah. Yeah. And the only option was the glucola. And I failed that. I remember her saying, I don't know the exact number, but I remember her saying, you didn't just fail by a little bit. You really failed. So the type A student that I am, I, you know, of course got the glucose meter and, and never had a single high blood sugar reading the entirety of the rest of my pregnancy. <laughs> It's amazing. Have, yeah, didn't have any issues in the hospital because I tested blood sugar there. And then my baby didn't have any issues, even at 37 weeks, didn't have any issues with blood sugar after he was. Yeah. How, how big was your baby? He was um, six pounds exactly. Okay. So obviously not a giant baby. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's like a whole, that's a whole thing, right? Gestational diabetes mm -hmm. is a whole thing. And it sounds like you've educated yourself. So I won't talk too much about it from in this context of doing this little virtual visit with me. If you came to me as a client and you told me you would fail the three hour, but then you never had any high readings after that, I would just essentially erase that from my memory. Like I would not care at all. <laughs> <laughs> like if we didn't have this ridiculous test, uh, we wouldn't know the difference. And what does it matter when moment to moment your blood sugar was within range? Okay, we could just like magic wand that away. So <laughs> and I wouldn't even write down that you had just a history of it. To me, that's just ridiculous. So I agree. Cool. Okay. So tell me about the high blood pressure then. And I don't know, do you know that I also am a person who had high blood pressure in pregnancy? No, I didn't. Yeah. I'm, it's kind of my jam. So okay. I'm really curious cool. um, to hear what that yeah. was like. So I'm really glad because this is one of probably my, my biggest worry. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I really wish I had my medical chart in front of me, but I don't know. They said after the fact that my blood pressure was a little high, whatever that means all along, or kind of from the middle of pregnancy onward, but I had one or two, I believe it was two kind of like pretty high readings in the office. And then it was this, the first time I had a, what they were calling stroke level blood pressures, which my husband is a nurse and he's not stroke level blood pressures. I wish I could remember exactly what it was, but there was one reading and I remember I was really scared to go in that time because 
they had been talking about induction because of good question. So my doctor said she intuitively thought that this baby would need to be delivered early. Um, And I was like, what about my intuition? (laughs) Hold up. Okay. So I have a really interesting story. Mostly for people listening. I think you'll think it's interesting too, but yeah, I recently had a transport here for blood loss after the birth. And the doctor said to this woman, I intuitively feel like your hemoglobin number is blank. And I was like, okay, wait, so it's okay for you all to intuitively decide things, but us midwives and moms, that is, that's crazy, but it's okay for you to just like make make things up. Yes, exactly. I love that. (laughs) I love that. So the talk of induction started fairly early and it was kind of thrown around. And then that was before any high blood pressure readings. She said it was on the high end of normal. So I think I had, Okay. gosh, I'm not good with this stuff, but the, is it the top number that's higher? Um, she said it was like mm-hmm. in, in the one thirties was okay. the top number along the way. And I have white coat syndrome anyway. So I kind of always have this issue when I go any doctor but anyway so I had one high reading she sent me directly to labor and delivery to be monitored and when I got to the hospital I just felt more comfortable there than I felt in the doctor's office and had totally normal readings when I went to be monitored and so do you remember how many weeks you were and that was the first time right I think this was 35 and a half or 36 weeks okay And so they sent me home and then I went back in for the next visit. And I remember like sitting in the chair, the tech took my blood pressure and she like kissed at me. I don't know how to like say that word. She was like, doctor is not going to like this. Um, You should have done better. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm even, she didn't even tell me the number, but they, they brought me into an exam room and then they took it manually. And then my husband was with me this time. And uh, the next thing that happened was just the doctor coming in and saying, so you're having a baby today. Uh, This is a stroke level blood pressure. This is when she said, you got to go directly to the hospital. Can't go home for your bag, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. And that was at 37 weeks. That was at 37 weeks, three days, I think. And when I got to the hospital, finally, that evening, after kind of going to the acupuncturist and stuff on the way, I had normal blood pressures once I got to the hospital. Um, And it was interesting because I didn't, every time I felt the cuff tighten, I was like scared. Oh no, this will be the time to make me get a C-section or whatever. And one of the last nurses that I had toward the end of my induction, I finally just said, I'm really scared about my blood pressure. And the nurse said, your blood pressure is not, was not abnormal. I'm not worried about your blood pressure. And we realized the nurse and I together that whenever the doctor would come in and I smelled her perfume, (laughs) my blood pressure would raise. So that's another reason why I really wanted her to stay outside of the room and kind of as long as possible until the baby was crowning essentially. Yeah. There's so much there. Did you say your husband's a nurse? He is. Yes. Yeah. So I'm guessing you've maybe had some of these conversations, but I guess for the sake of making sure, the other really huge thing 
is how a blood pressure is taken. Like whether it's, you know, an automatic cuff, uh, an automatic, what am I trying to say? A machine. Yeah. That's what I'm going for. Versus manual and like the size of the cuff. And then of course, yeah, the environment. And some people really are more sensitive. Like you said, you have white coat hypotension. And if your numbers were higher in the office and then lower in the hospital. So are you saying that your blood pressure was essentially normal in labor? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then you said something about the epidural being to bring it down. Was there a part where it got higher? So when my doctor came in, she was not on call for the beginning of the time that I was there. And then she started kind of stopping in. So there was a point where they did a fully bulb catheter and the doctor was in the room for that. My blood pressure went up during that experience. Uh, that was pre-epidural and I was really scared of that procedure. Um, and it was kind of framed like, it's fine if you want to decline the fully bulb, but it'll probably result in a C-section. So I was like, okay, I have to just... Anyway, so that was a process and I'm, again, kind of scared of medical stuff. So I was like, just so, just really scared. And so my blood pressure went up around that time. And it was like a brief window that it went up. I had already been at the hospital for probably, gosh, I think it was like 12 hours already. They had done side, several rounds of side attack. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so it was the first time that I had a high blood pressure reading in the hospital, it was around the time of the Foley bulb. And that's when they started essentially found out later that my doula was kind of friends with the doctor, which was just wonderful. (laughs) And um, she was like sort of chatting about it out in the hallway with the doctor. And the doctor kind of told her to tell me that I probably needed to get an epidural if I wanted to have a vaginal birth. And so my doula came in and told me that. And I remember looking at my husband and just being so defeated. I wasn't in any pain. So I wasn't like asking for an epidural for, for pain. But anyway, she framed it. I know you want a vaginal birth. Let's do the epidural. And I was just so defeated. I was just like, fuck it. I don't care. Yeah. I'm okay. I'm doing it. Whatever. Like all of my dreams yeah. have been shattered. <laughs> So why why even try? (laughs) Yeah, why not this one too? Yeah, Yeah, in like that, uh, in the situation you were in, that might have been true. Like that, that that was maybe your best shot at getting a vaginal birth, which it sucks to be in those situations where like all of a sudden the goals have rearranged themselves from one thing to another. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so did they ever do... Did you ever have protein in your urine? So Did they ever do magnesium sulfate? So I didn't have, they didn't detect protein in my urine from just the like normal screen. But when I initially said, and I realized I'm jumping around a ton, so I hope this is making sense to you. But essentially after that first high blood pressure reading, she wanted to induce me immediately. And that was when I went to the hospital to initially be monitored and I had normal blood pressures. She yeah, that was like 35, 36 week right time. She said, "This is only going to get worse. You're the you. We will find protein in your urine. These kinds of statements." And I said, "Okay, what do I need to do?" So she had me do the like whatever it's called, where you actually like go to the hospital and you get the bag and you pee for like twenty four hours into the bag. Yeah. Um. So 
I um, did that two separate times. Um, she said that there was normal levels of protein in my urine um, both times, but that it was slowly increasing. And so there, I didn't have a diagnosis of preeclampsia and I didn't have to do the magnesium sulfate, but she said that this number will com- continue to climb and then it could be a whole different situation where, of course, it could later be a, an emergency C-section or whatever. Yeah. Did they ever do any blood pressure meds in labor? No. Or just the epidural? Just the epidural. Interesting. So this is all so interesting and also so common. (laughs) It's not an uncommon story. And the crux of the issue is that we have no idea what on earth preeclampsia is. We have theories, we have ideas, we don't actually know. And we also are totally freaked out by it, midwives included. And like you said, there's those really classic, like this will become preeclampsia mm-hmm. statements. Like they're not true. We don't have any way to know who's going to have gestational hypertension that doesn't actually turn into anything else versus people who it is the beginning of what's going to become preeclampsia. There is absolutely no way to know. There's a couple different screening indicators that I've read about and that they say not to use in clinical decision-making, but they're interesting. And I will have to look them up again to send them to you. I can't remember exactly what those indicators are, but it might be something to look at. Where is I going with that? Other than to say, yeah, I had a, not to get super personal or talk about myself too much, but I had an OB say the exact same thing to me in my first pregnancy. I only saw an OB one time in my 34th week of pregnancy. And I already had probably way higher blood pressure than you were experiencing based on what you've described. And he said to me, this would be, and I didn't actually go to get a consultation around what he would do with me. (laughs) I actually just wanted to go consult about the blood pressure medication that I was on and maybe try a different one. And he was like, this is, you're going to have an induction at 37 weeks if you don't have preeclampsia before then. So 37 weeks at the latest maybe sooner. Wow. Yeah. So again, it's the same exact thing where someone's like making a prediction about the future based on what's in front of them in the moment. And that's not really a smart thing to do, but I get it. They see that, right? Like they've seen it progress that direction, but they've also seen it progress, not that direction. So I don't know why they try to put the fear of God into people when they have just a few high readings. Yeah. Go for it. Sorry. So I'm guessing that yours did not progress in that direction. (laughs) No, I had really high blood pressure and never any protein in my urine. And I had both my babies at home, one at 40 and three and one at 39 and five. And the second time it was not as high as the first, but it was definitely high. And so I talk about this in other places too. I'm not saying everyone should do that Mm -hmm. by any stretch, Mm -hmm. but I knew for me, that was the right choice and was willing to take responsibility if it wasn't and was monitoring multiple times a day. The first pregnancy I was checking my urine, you know, is something you could totally do if you wanted to with the dipsticks. They're super cheap, like 17 bucks on Amazon. Okay. So I was obsessively doing that and also was running labs on myself again, like the 
type A student. Yes. That is what you had said in there. Yeah, like I was trying to take every precaution I reasonably could. I didn't want to be reckless and ridiculous. But I also, if I had the option of going to see an OB who would have been respectful, who could have maybe ordered the labs more often, more easily, and had them as like a respectful backup option, I probably would have done that. Totally. But right now in the world, like that doesn't exist. Yeah, it's just not an option. Um, you you have to either take it on yourself and or not and suffer the consequences. Yeah. Hello, everyone. If you're enjoying this podcast, you'd probably really enjoy our other more in-depth offerings. We have a comprehensive course for mamas called 13 Moons, Epic Education for the Birthing Year, and an Everything You Need to Know course for aspiring doulas who want to change the world called the Birth Warrior Project, 120-day doula training and transformation. And for the real birth nerds who want to become home birth midwives, we have the Indie Birth Midwifery School. And you can find out about all of these options and more at birth.org. That's indiebirth.org. Yeah, even some of my very favorite OB friends probably think I'm a lunatic. Uh, And that's okay. Yeah. There's so much we don't know. So I'll send you some of my cool information post it in the show notes too that I gathered about hypertension and pregnancy for myself I in the indie birth a story of radical birth love book I think I put a picture of it in there I have literally like a three inch like three ring binder full of the studies that I printed out when I was pregnant with my first and for me my my wind up was both as a mom and then now as a midwife is that blood pressure is a number it's a measurement. It's not even like a concrete number, right? Like it's a measurement of one moment and it is, it, we should not be basing our decisions off of that one number. It's so, you know, what you're describing sounds like labile hypertension. Like it was going up and down, maybe mixed with like white coat. And I'm probably going to get it wrong. I'll put the study in the show notes too. So people can double check me, but I want to say they did a study at one point of women with hypertension and pregnancy and they sent them home with a 24-hour monitor. So it would take their blood pressure like on the hour, every hour for 24 hours in their own life environment. And they found, I want to say it was like 70% of the women who had, would have been diagnosed with hypertension, gestational hypertension in the office actually had normal, high, no, normal blood pressure wow. in their life. So 70% of them had white coat hypertension. Wow. Yeah. And so what are we doing when we're forcing babies out early based on this number? Exactly. And yeah, so it comes down to like, if we could just know more about preeclampsia and like how it progresses and develops and who has just regular old high blood pressure and pregnancy and who doesn't, life would be so much simpler, but we don't have that information right now. And it's in my estimation, it's like the wild west. And yes. Uh, you, the wild west yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the brewer diet because obviously in my research about prenatal hypertension and preeclampsia I came across this and I read one of one of the books associated with it I just wondered your thoughts I do feel like because of the gestational diabetes diagnosis last time, I was kind of afraid to eat anything. And I was like being so careful with mm. sugar. And I just, I wasn't 
probably wasn't like really freely nourishing myself and I definitely wasn't intuitively eating. Um, yeah. I was also told to yeah. use salt when I, at one point mm. during pregnancy, which is of course like not recommended at all. Yeah. Oh man, that's fascinating. Yeah. We have good studies that show that we should not reduce salt when someone has high blood pressure in pregnancy. It was not just Dr. Brewer. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, I think the Brewer Diet is a great starting point, and I think his work is really interesting. I've got a couple of his books sitting on my shelf here. Yeah, I think it's a good place to start. I don't know that it's the be-all, end-all, and I think the goal, no matter what, is, yeah, getting enough calories and protein and salt. And however you do that is wonderful, whether it's with his checklist or through intuitive eating or whatever. But I'd be more than happy to take a peek at a food journal sometime if you wanted to do one. Yeah. Have your midwives talked about that at all with you? They um, have talked about weight gain and I have a history of eating disorders. So it's a little bit tough. I feel like I've pretty thoroughly healed from those with intuitive eating. So anytime there's like a, anytime there's a food journal, anytime there's a checklist, it's like a little bit daunting for me. Yeah. But I definitely, I've, Definitely fibbed a few times to my midwives. Wouldn't tell them about the chocolate croissant I ate for breakfast <laughs> earlier this week. But for the most part, I really have been trying to be really conscious of making sure I get enough protein and just nutrients in general. I'm trying to eat nutrient-dense stuff. And they're pretty satisfied with that, I think. Awesome. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where I think there are times you didn't have preeclampsia. So there's that too. Right. And I don't know that we have time to totally get into it. I think there are women who just have higher blood pressure at the end of pregnancy. And I think there's probably a lot we don't know about. So if we think about it, like if the body's wise and it's smart and it's doing something on purpose, like maybe there's a reason certain women's bodies do that and others don't, but it's tricky because obviously like in other parts of life, and in pregnancy, like high blood pressure can be not great. So I don't know how I got onto that. Sorry. Back to the brewer diet. Oh, just that I think there are cases like where I'll consult with someone and they'll be like, yeah, I had preeclampsia. I was eating like barely any food mm-hmm. and was living off of Doritos. And I'll think to myself and talk to them about that probably could have been avoided. Or that's definitely something we can tweak this time to try to avoid it happening again. It doesn't necessarily sound that way to me, other than, like you said, if you were maybe restricting even carbs and calories last time, that certainly could play into it. It's one of those things, I get it. I work with tons of women who have the history of eating disorders, and yeah, it's hard because without knowing what a normal day looks like for you, it's hard to say if there would be something to add in or think about or ideas but if you did if you came to a place where it felt okay to do a couple days Mm -hmm. then that would be something I'd be happy to consult about okay wonderful and if not just keep doing what you're doing and be mindful of those those components yes yeah and I think just the mindfulness of protein in particular I wouldn't say I just have never really thought about my protein intake I've probably taken plenty and then when I'm not pregnant but it's just never been on my radar until now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I feel like there were a few other things. So we wanted to talk about the transport thing. There was something else. Oh, that you're still nauseous. Yes. Yeah. How curious. 
like often all day vomiting yes no no vomiting ever um but just this like gurgly uncomfortable (laughs) nausea usually starting about 9 a.m and on throughout the day every day (laughs) and it hasn't gotten any better I would say it's improved a little bit, although I am taking a homeopathic remedy that a friend who's proficient in that area recommended, and I feel like that helped because if I run out of it for a couple days, it gets worse, and then I'm doing, I'm taking magnesium and B6 as well to try to help with it. Yeah. Have you tried... And this might need to be like another call or mm-hmm. something since we're coming up on our time here. But have you tried like a right before bed snack or a middle of the night snack? I feel like I'm definitely eating all the time. <laughs> okay. um, it's not unusual for me to be hungry right before bed. So I eat, I eat before bed often. The middle of the night, not as much. So that's an idea. Yeah. It's an idea. Yeah, I've seen it be pretty helpful, especially when women have nausea later into their pregnancies, or if it like resurfaces, just because the blood sugar overnight can, it can just be a long time. If you go from, even if it's a pre-bed snack, I don't know when you go to bed, but pre-bed till breakfast can be a long stretch for a pregnant body. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, we could check back in on that another time so yeah let's talk about this transport thing while we still have a couple minutes so where are you at with that something came up and you really were feeling like I guess there's a few different components there though there's the what if my midwives want me to go and I don't want to go and then also what if I do want to go (laughs) so I guess wherever you want to start with that I'd love to hear your So I guess my biggest fear would be that they want me to go and I don't want to go or that they maybe introduce a fear that then I would fall into that fear pit like last pregnancy where I just don't know how to find clarity in the moment. Um, uh, Also just the idea of people being in my home sort of telling me what to do or telling me that I'm going to hurt my baby or something. It's like those statements I just really don't want to hear again. And, uh, yeah, I think that I feel actually more prepared to be empowered in the hospital if I choose to go and just more afraid of something coming up late, late in the game. Right. Um, yeah, it's foggy. I don't have a clear picture of what I'm afraid of, but more, more so just that they, so I'm a licensed mental health counselor. specialize in perinatal <laughs> disorders, which is really interesting to be have that perspective. But I work with a couple of people who have been transferred by these midwives. And so I've heard these sort of trauma stories of I they just weren't progressing or they just there was a dip in the heart rate, these kind of like things that can happen obviously that I probably wouldn't go to the hospital for. If I were on my own, maybe I wouldn't even know that was happening if I were on my own. And I know we're running out of time, but I guess part of, too, the question is, do I even want them here? And and that's a much bigger question. There's fear of if I just don't call them, like, could I save myself? (laughs) Could I save myself? Like, am I inviting in this, like, you know, scary thing by, you know, by having them here? So 
that'd be much bigger, much bigger question. That's okay. I can go a little bit over. I'll make the other next person wait a few minutes. It's worth it. So have you had any of these conversations with these midwives around what happens if you want to go and I am not on board or? No, I think I've been afraid of putting that thought in their minds because I'm just, again, like I felt my doctor turn on me. I don't want, I want them to not turn on me. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. It's so tricky. I guess in a perfect world, my advice would be to use all of your best skills around counseling and communication to sit down and just be really honest with them about this and be like, here's what happened last time. I really don't want that to happen again. So it's probably better for us to talk about this up front. Can we talk about some of the things that would actually be a thing for you and how to have these conversations? When I'm teaching midwives in our midwifery school, obviously as midwives, we do have boundaries. Of course. And how do we communicate that to someone in a way that honors our boundaries, but doesn't negate their autonomy? And so if you were my client, or when I have had one client who her blood sugars were way out of range and her blood pressure was way out of range, both, there were a couple things going on. She came into care really late. And I said, like, my midwife antenna are up and I'm not feeling great about this anymore. We were also going to be really far from a hospital. And... It was hard for her to hear that. And the way I framed it was like, this doesn't mean that I think I'm right and that you shouldn't have a home. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a home birth, just that I can't be the one to be with you. There's Here's some other names. If you want to talk to other midwives, if you want to have an unassisted birth, you should totally do it, whatever you want to do. But I'm going to bring fear into your experience because this is feeling off. So even talking to them about that, where it's like, hey, if something comes up, here's what I need you to not say. (laughs) I need to not have somebody tell me their intuition is that my baby, like I need someone to not say, this is what you have to do, or you're having your baby today. Like I need to not be bossed around and leave space for me to disagree with you. Even if that means we part ways. That's in a perfect world. But also I get that there are limited options for home birth support. Mm where you are, it sounds like you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot and you don't want to be maybe like classified as the problem client. (laughs) He's got all these demands or something. Um, And I know as a counselor, I always want to be the person who changes someone's mind about therapists and counselors, but it's also daunting whenever I have a client say, I've had four experiences with therapists and they've all been shit. (laughs) And now I have great things about you and it's, oh gosh, I hope that I... I hope that I will be different, but, and so I didn't want that to have to be. And again, I'm like projecting and trying to control it because I'm scared, but I just didn't, again, just didn't want to be, yeah, I didn't want to raise their antenna like super early on, just be hard for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's so tricky, but I think whatever you do decide to do, in terms of preparing, whether that's having a conversation with them or just thinking through your own what ifs Mm -hmm. and having your own little plan unbeknownst to them. Either way, I think, yeah, there's, it's like any birth plan, right? Like the combination of both preparing and like thinking through and then also surrendering to, I don't know what's going to happen. And just trusting that in the moment you will be able to access what you need to access And it sounds like that's maybe a really good place for you to focus Mm -hmm. um, that felt like it didn't happen for you as much last time is like, how do you, in those moments, 
even just have a safe word or something with your partner being like, I like, this means you need to help me calm down for five minutes (laughs) before we make a choice or yeah, just having some of those like little mindfulness moments. Yeah. To regroup. Kind of planned into the experience. Right. Yeah. To regroup if things feel really kind of like they're spiraling (laughs) or something. Totally. Yeah. 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 And my, I I wish we had some more time, but I definitely wanted to make sure I said too that, so right now are your midwives taking your blood pressure at visits? Yeah. Are they doing it? Yes. They're taking my blood pressure so far. It's been really good. And they've been just really nurturing, like letting me take some deep breaths and do my little meditation for a moment before. And again, I don't even like the term letting me, but it's so ingrained. Like they let me breathe. (laughs) They let me breathe for a minute. Um, But no, they've been just like, yeah, really sweet. Even letting me kind of like lay down during it and, and listen to baby first to help calm myself. And, and that's helped. That's worked. I've had normal blood pressures. So the first couple were higher because I was kind of riddled with fear, but totally. Yeah. Is it in the like under 120 over 80 normal, like super, super normal? Yes. Yes. Amazing. Yes. That's amazing. The first one, um, the one do you ever, and after that, it's been really normal, like 118 over whatever. How delightful. Do you ever do it yourself at home? Yes. My husband got a manual one for fun and I have a little automatic one. And those have been like, depending on my stress level, I've had a couple that were in the one thirties and then the rest have been like really normal, like almost maybe verging on a little low, but really good ones. Yeah. That's awesome. I guess that would be my only other thought is if they do get a high one, having a plan for what you want to be like next and my recommendation would be, and this would be the case for any client of mine, if we get a high one at the office or at their house, if it's a home visit, I want them to get like a good quality automatic mm-hmm. cuff mm-hmm. and do it at home once a week, not a million times a week, <laughs> once a week, and just tell me what it is when they do it and to get into that habit instead so that we don't have this drama of every visit wondering what it's going to be and like and the performance and all of it. Some of us, like myself included, I can psych myself out alone. I don't even need anyone to be there to get super jacked up about it. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's the same. (laughs) Totally anxious just thinking about it. That's what, that's what my recommendation would be. I had, I do have a client right now, actually, who I don't think she even had a high reading. I don't remember, but she was like, it makes me really anxious when other people do it. And so she's just been keeping track in it because she tells me what she's been getting and it's her responsibility. Great if something comes up, I trust that she'll tell me just putting that out there as another possibility. And then I'll also send you and put in the show notes, my like little handout I have about like natural, like supplements and herbs and blood pressure stuff. Because even if it does start creeping up a little bit, like there's so many things to try that it sounds like you didn't even have time to try last time. Everything from Tons of magnesium, which I heard you say you're taking to passion flower tincture to some more like heavy duty herbs like Rawolfia, which is slightly controversial, but works really well. Okay, There's love, a lot of things to try. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So I'll send that to you. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to you. I really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah. Even having these experiences of just feeling heard and nurtured. Yeah, it makes a difference. I have a feeling I'll reference our meeting today just of one of those times. So thank you for your time. 
Oh, you're very welcome. And I can't wait to hear about your birth. I will let you know. And I may book another meeting with you because I just enjoyed this so much. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you can certainly do that. The link's pretty easy to find on the site or you can email me. Okay, awesome. If you want to do that. Thank you so much. Cool. <laughs> if you enjoyed what you heard, please hit the subscribe button and give this podcast a five-star review. For more enriching content and conversation around the primal physiological process that is pregnancy, birth, and beyond, please head over to IndieBirth.org. And if you are in the Duluth area seeking prenatal and midwifery support, you can find Margot at DuluthMidwife.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.